the Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Terry Hollifield, the Four Horsemen. Welcome to our next episode of the Four Horsemen podcast. We have four <laughs> <laughs> We have four exceptionally unusual horsemen uh, this week. We have myself, Benjamin Kerfman. We have the Reverend Jonathan Blaylock who recently, if I'm not mistaken, is celebrating five years at West Canton Baptist. This month, by God's grace. So five years. And the patience of the people. So according to church experts, he is now officially the pastor of the church, and he now has enough influence to actually do something in the church after five years. I'm not a statistic. Jonathan, (laughs) will you autograph my Bible? (laughs) (laughs) We also have with us the Reverend Derek McCarson, pastor of Liberty Baptist Church in Candler, North Carolina, and the illustrious Reverend Dr. Dennis Thurman. Are you a doctor? Uh, no. Oh. I'm did you not. play one on TV? <laughs> He's a quiet no, I did, I did uh, stay in the Holiday Inn Express. Oh, okay. okay. I can, I'm qualified to do brain surgery. Okay. In fact, is all you youngins could be my boys. That's how old I am. That's what he means by illustrious. It's a nice way of saying old. <laughs> Yes, seasoned. The, yes. the seasoned pastor yes. of the group. This evening, we're going to attempt to discuss the balance between things like work and life or ministry and life, which will apply to pastors who are in ministry and also to members who should be in ministry, because if you aren't, you are in sin. So we all have ministry and responsibilities. A lot of people have work in our day and age. You have a lot of families where there's two incomes. You have two adults working in the home. You have kids with school. You have ball games. You have all kinds of extracurricular activities. And then you have things like church. You have family outings and different things. And it can be very hard to balance those things. Any pastor will tell you that it it can be extremely challenging to manage a home and family. I know I've listened to several podcasts where they've just admitted that it's not possible. And so you need to just try to double up and involve your family in the ministry that you're doing because there is no balance and you should just give up on that. Not quite sure how I feel about that approach. (laughs) And then I know other people that draw boundaries that are so hard that it actually affects their ministry and makes it difficult for them to serve the Lord in the way that they're supposed to because those boundaries are, are too hard. So we want to talk about that, see if maybe we can get some clarity, share some ideas and experiences, and hopefully encourage our listeners to be more effective in whatever their ministry is and also with their time management and the other balances. So I'm going to start to my left with Jonathan. Jonathan has a large family like mine and and has obtained that family through a variety of means. And is also a full-time pastor uh, who lives in the parking lot of his church where he cannot hide. So, Jonathan, talk to us a little bit about what does balance look like in your life? I've got six kids. Four of them are biological. One is adopted and one is a foster child we've had for about 19 months. And Lord willing, will be adopted in the next year, hopefully. And I do live right there in the parking lot. 
So it makes staycations extremely. He does have a house for the record. I do have a house. There is a house that there he lives in. in. He doesn't literally live in like the actual parking lot. <laughs> but you have to drive through the parking lot to get to I the house. I thought maybe he was though. like in a tent, like a tabernacle. You it's know? a real nice RV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a van by the river. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so, uh, for balance for me is, um, and my family comes first. That's, that's my first ministry. We're talking about balancing, uh, ministry and family my family is my ministry i'm the shepherd of my family i'm the garden tender of the family you know as a man my role is genesis 2:15 is to work and keep the garden and that's my garden that's what i work that's what i nurture and tend to that's what i keep that's what i protect my family is is first and foremost and uh, from day one uh, five years ago this month i made that very clear to my congregation and they all know that and they respect that. I mean, there's some specific ways that I balance. I mean, I don't know. But yeah, let's, get let's get practical or, for people that are listening. If, of maybe just some so everyday some, things. Yeah. So some things that I do to keep that distinction from my family is, uh, is I, I guard my hours in my mind. I'm really structured with my time and my hours. I have blocks on the calendar and uh, there's certain times that's dedicated towards uh, office hours. Well, I call them office hours. I'm rarely in the office. I'm usually uh, meeting with somebody or in somebody's home or at the hospital or whatever the case may be. Uh, but I have some, some office hours. But then come 4 o'clock, Monday through Saturday, um, it's family time. You know, it's uh, I go home. I eat supper. I, I spend some time with my family. I, I screen my calls. If you call me after four o'clock, leave a voicemail. If you don't, I'll think it's not important and probably won't return the call. Shoot me a text. But they come first. I'm not going to answer the phone during dinner, playing a game with the kids. Unless I know it's uh, something that I need to tend to at the moment, I typically won't get get to that phone call. Most of the time, it can usually wait to the next day. I rarely have meetings. I probably three times a year, I might have a meeting on a day other than a Sunday or Wednesday. We stack our all of our meetings heavy on Sunday evenings. Uh, I may be at church all day Sunday, but I'm at home Monday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, all day Saturday. Those are times with kids. My kids know that they come first, and I think you could could get on the phone right now and ask them, and I think they would know that. Um, that's kind of the way I've set it out to be. Well, and, and here here's something, Jonathan, to follow up on that. That folks listening to us who are those non ministerial type people, like normal people. I think it's important for us to bear in mind as leaders in the church, you're talking about having a block of time where you schedule those meetings and so forth. Those lay people out there that are putting in 40 plus hours, and sometimes yeah. you have both couples that are in, in vo- out there in a vocation, and they got the kids and they got all these other activities. We've got to be careful not to burn them out and have an expectation of them that's unrealistic. You know, we want our time off. We need it, and so we've got to do the same thing for them. If they ruin their family, guess what happens? If they if they divorce, probably both are going to be out of the church. Uh, the kids are going to be gone. I mean, uh, it's going to be a destructive force even if our family stays intact. Yeah, I've had very little kickback on that. Um, I mean, when I came to the church, the deacons' meetings were on Monday nights. And I'm like, why? Who wants to come back? Because they always have been, probably. Yeah, exactly. Why Do you guys really want to come back on Monday night? Why can't we do this on Sunday night after our worship service? I I mean, we're already coming. We're already here. 
Let's meet for an hour afterwards or however long that may take. And then let's let's spend Monday night watching Monday night football or whatever, you know, hanging out with the family. Um, go to the park. Go play a ball game, whatever the case may be. So I, I've had very little kickback. And then I've also tried to, you know, if I've got a if I've got a committee or a group that needs to have a meeting for whatever, I look and see who's on that. If they're all retired, man, we meet during the week, during the morning. Let's meet at nine o'clock. I mean, why? Because you've always had evening time meetings doesn't mean that we have to now. Let's just get practical. Let's find a time that we can all agree on that's much, much more convenient for us. Yeah, I think I think you can get folks about three hours a week yeah. uh, is, is about what you can expect of them. So you have to figure out what are those three hours are going to be a priority where I can plug people in. Oh, that's very helpful. So, Derek, tell us a little bit about you. You've got kids also. Yeah, Pastor will have been, at Lord willing, at Liberty 10 years total next year. So not um, only do I want you to autograph my Bible, but my concordance as well. <laughs> so I've, uh, he's writing a systematic theology. That's like a decade, brother. <laughs> uh, can't believe they've let me stay there that long, but I definitely know the struggle between ministry and family life. And, uh, I very quickly in the beginning, once we had kids and we have two, uh, five year old, uh, in a week, and a two-year-old, uh, once we had kids, realized that um, there had to be a cutoff point because I could not abandon my wife and abandon my children, obviously. But um, I do a lot of the same things that Jonathan talked about, and that is uh, I try and be home every evening, uh, try to eat together, try and play with the kids, get them ready for bed, have that story time or whatever it is. Our kids still do that. Some we of do you with older too, kids may not do that anymore, um, but try and focus on them. I've realized um, it's impossible to take anything from study or the office home. You just can't do it. I can't do it and focus on both or say, you know, hey, while the kids are in the bath, I'm going to spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes doing answering this email or polishing this sermon point that I was working on. You really just have to have a cutoff point and say, you know, this stuff stays here at the church and not contaminate that with what goes on with the family because you're pulled in two different directions and you want to be able to focus on them completely because um, I've been gone most of the day. And then also another important aspect of that, too, is making time for your wife. Mm-hmm. Um, talking to her at the end of the day, how um, what's going on in your soul? Uh, what are you struggling with? Let her talk to you and listen. Don't just check out. And then um, another thing, too, along those lines is we don't do this as well as we should, but trying to make a regular time where we can go out and continue to date, spend time with each other. Um, because if you don't feed that fire, if you don't pursue her heart, pretty soon she's going to get tired of you being married to the church. And uh, that can have a strain on your marriage. So really being intentional about that and protecting that and uh, pursuing your wife and continuing to date her and making time for her because, um, as you said, Jonathan, that's your primary ministry right there. And if you fail as a husband and a father, it doesn't matter how good of a preacher you are. That's it doesn't right. matter how big your church is. That's right. It doesn't matter how many disciples you've made. And if you failed in that area, 
that's well, and, that's, yeah. and biblically, you're disqualified. At that yeah, if you lose your family, you yeah. lose your you ministry. lose everything. Yeah. <clears throat> I was just gonna echo, uh, echo a little bit with with Derek there, and and Derek's got two children. Ben will tell you, Dennis will tell you. Figure that date night thing out right now with two kids. I don't know if you guys plan on having more or not, but if you do, it just becomes more and more difficult to get that on that. That's about out. impossible for us. Right it, it, it almost is. I mean, we're we're what I call a two babysitter family. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't go out unless we have two separate babysitters. Three kids go here and three kids go there. That mm-hmm. that becomes challenging. It was easy when it was like I just need to find one sitter to keep two or three, and and then you get to a point to where that you realize that pursuing your wife and and date nights doesn't have to be necessarily going out there's there's creative ways to Mm -hmm. to have that pursuit of her heart uh even even at home and and to keep that fire and to keep that yeah and and along with the date night thing it doesn't have to be anything complicated you know hey let's let's go for a walk or if you ask my wife about dates that we've been on that have really stood out to Mm -hmm. her one of the ones she always tells people about is this one time that we went to target and got an icy because they have ices at target and we just Mm -hmm. walked around and had an icy Cause we had like a, like we had like a dollar worth of change or something in the car, and that was it. You incurable robot. But, well, but the, the thing for her was, is it, it was like you said, it's just that time. Yeah, it's just the time to yeah. have that conversation. And like what Jonathan said, I mean, we have six kids. Also, it's about impossible. I mean, we recently had a young couple without kids in our church came and watched our kids so that so that we could go out and did a great job, and it was just a huge blessing to us. And so I would say. If you're listening to this and you're a church member and you've got a young pastor that's got little kids at the house, offering some babysitting to them or even teaming up with like another family in the church and doing that, that's a huge way to bless your pastor. And it's going to make his marriage stronger. It's going to make his preaching better. If things are healthy at home, things mm-hmm. are going to be a lot better in the pulpit. Exactly. If things are not healthy at home, the the pulpit's going to reflect that. Exactly. And we've had a big emphasis in our church recently going through Ephesians, talking about everybody serving in the church. And maybe that's your ministry. If your ministry is just to say, hey, pastor, I want to take your kids a couple nights a month and watch a movie with them or do whatever so you can go out and have some time. That's a that's a way bigger ministry than you may realize to support your pastor. Well, and to add to that, you're going to need some times periodically. You can't do it a lot. Uh, when you do an overnighter, when you get away from everybody and everything and, and the kiddos run over to Pigeon Forge or whatever, find a little Airbnb somewhere doesn't cost a fortune, just somewhere you get, get away. You may even have members who have like a little lake house or something. So off season during the week, you might can slip over and do that. And, and it's just vital to have those times where you can have that uninterrupted attention that you give uh, to each other. And, and so it, you know, managing the logistics and all of that, it's, it's tough, but it's well worth it. It pays dividends. And so people in church, a lot of times will help. They, they realize that and, and they will, they will encourage you in that. All right. So Dennis, you're, you're in a different life stage than some of us. You have grown children. So talk to us a little bit about for that listener that's in a similar stage of life to you. What does that balance look like at home? Well, it, it does change, of course, but now we've got grandchildren. And so they're still around, and so you still have those little ones underfoot. The good thing is you can send them home afterwards. You can get them, you know, here, here, drink this Coke. You know, <laughs> how much candy you want? Another bowl of ice cream, fine, because you know you're you're sending them to the house. So there are changes, of course, that happen. But the thing about it that is a blessing for you guys that I didn't have when I was starting out. 
you know, most churches, I was the one-man band and had to deal with basically everything. And it was an age of ministry in which there was an expectation if somebody was in the hospital having, you know, a bunion removed, then, and I didn't mean John, I mean on their foot. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, the, fa- the whole family wanted you there to sit through the whole thing, you know, start, get there beforehand, pray for them, stay there till they got out of recovery. And, and then, you didn't have a smartphone to play on in the you, waiting room either. You, you didn't, you did not. You could look through some old sports illustrated and things like that. But that's about it. Uh, good housekeeping or whatever. But, you know, that was kind of the expectation, uh, going door to door, visiting all the shut-ins all the time. I mean, it was a constant pressure to do all of those kinds of things. And, and so I think we're in an age now where people understand those kinds of time demands better and they don't expect that. And I know in our uh, congregation, uh, it's, uh, you know, fairly large for a country church and we have multiple staff members. And they just soon see another one show up to pray for them. And we've told them, you know, the deacon's prayer, if they come to visit you, it's just as good as my prayer, mm-hmm. maybe even better. And so our folks have kind of bought into that. And so I think you guys are at a place where you can more easily make those kinds of changes without upsetting a whole bunch of folks. Now, maybe a few of the senior citizens that remember back how it used to be, but other than that, uh, you know, I, I, in fact, some people just rather you not show up <laughs> because that's one more thing they have to deal with that interrupts their schedule. So I, I think in some ways that's a change that uh, is to your profit. But I've certainly embraced that and uh, and realized, I think, at this point in my life that I'm looking at the finish line. I mean, I'm not trying to be morbid, but I've come around the last turn, you know, if, we, if I live to be 70 or 80 and it's not that far away. And I just want to finish well. I want to finish strong. But I want to focus on those priorities, those things that really count. And I think that's what we're talking about. There, There's not enough time to do all that you want to do or not enough time to do all that other people want you to do. Mm-hmm. There is enough time to do what God wants you to do because he's the one that ordained your days, who's appointed them. So we just have to find God's will, sort through that. And what are those things that are of eternal significance? What's really going to matter in the end when we stand before God? So it's a matter of prioritizing, putting it on that calendar, sticking to it, realizing emergencies will come. But just because somebody else thinks it's emergency does not mean it truly is. You have to kind of I have some good judgment uh, with that. And, and uh, you know, Derek, I'll just kind of finish up my remarks talking about a statement you made about being wed to the church. You know, a lot of times I think for fellas, the church becomes their mistress. You know, exactly. they've, they've got or their idol. Yeah, they've got their wife, but then they just devote all that time and attention uh, to that. And we've got to be cautious about that. It's It's a, a form of uh, emotional adultery, I guess you'd say, spiritual adultery in a sense when you do that. That's very challenging. <laughs> I think for me, I'm in a little bit of a different scenario. So I'm I'm the only person at the table that's bivocational. So that changes things a little bit because I have even less pieces of the pie <laughs> to use at home and in ministry. And, uh, and that can be frustrating. And I have a love-hate relationship with it. There's some things about it that I'm very supportive of. I don't like having to feel like a church salary has me by the throat. And so, which I've mentioned before on the podcast, so I'm thankful for that. But at the same time, man, I sure, I sure could use an extra day or two a week of things at the church. I'm also in a situation that's a little bit different. One, we're like real hot and heavy into revitalization. 
So we've built momentum over the last few years. And so there's, there's a lot of momentum in the church. There's a lot of things happening. I get excited about that. And I'm an idea guy and, and a big picture guy. And so, like you said, Dennis, I, my, uh, what did they say? Your eyes are bigger than your stomach, uh, when it comes to your appetite. And so everywhere I look, I see something that we can make better, that sure. we can do better. And I may not even be the right person to do it, but I can get it done. And so the temptation is for me to just take on way more than I should. The demands are endless. Right. So uh, case in point, Sunday morning, I show up at the church at 830. I'm the first one there. Turn on all the lights, unlock all the doors, you know, check the temperature. This Sunday morning in particular, I cleaned one of the restrooms, vacuumed. And then I go into the church office, print out Sunday school curriculum, look over my Sunday school lesson. And of course, you clean restrooms and vacuum at home all the time, I'm sure, just like you did there. At yeah, or I make kids do it. <laughs> I, I, I disciple my children in housekeeping. See, mine aren't old enough yet to be able to turn them loose, but we're... Oh, they can, brother. We, I, we are looking My three-year-old can switch laundry. You have <laughs> mentored them very well. Yeah, yeah. Um, if I could make disciples in church as well as I do with my kids, I'd probably be doing better. But So I do all that before anybody really gets there. This Sunday in particular, I made coffee for everybody when they got there. And then usually between that time and the time that Sunday school starts about 10 minutes late, I have questions of how can we get transportation for somebody? Where can I locate certain supplies? <laughs> um, I'm, I just have so become... So why do you do that? I've become kind of the go-to person. Well, wait, I'm not done yet. Okay. You can do like my wife and ask me that question. Well, wake me up when, when you get I'm through because this, yeah. this is so, exhausting me. Right. So, I, But I want, I'm saying this because I want the listener to understand what a situation like this is where we have no full-time staff. And so somebody has to do all this stuff. So that's why I said in the beginning, if you're a member and you don't have a ministry, you can turn on lights. You can make coffee. You can do those kind of things. And I do have people that are doing that. And we're growing and doing that. Like, like I said, we're in a revitalization, so we're kind of in process. But then I teach a Sunday school class. Then after Sunday school class, I was trying to get videos set up in our nursery for the first time. And I'm one of a few people in the church that can use technology enough to, to do that. In the 30 minutes between our Sunday school and our service, I ran up to the store to get batteries for something. And I was messing in the sound booth and then going across campus to the nursery. Jack and of all trades. Wow. I, and I ended up getting into the worship service right before the offering and got called on to pray for the offering. And then right after service, I'm usually the one that locks up a lot of stuff and does that kind of thing. So, so Ben, let me introduce you to Acts chapter six. Let me introduce Delegation. you to this concept called deacon. Yes, which we're working on. Let's we just we, we just we now have five deacons. Meet the needs. Um, you which, do this which business so thing. we can devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry. The ministry exactly, of exactly. Yeah. And so we're working on that process. But the the problem was this: I could have asked if I asked any of my deacons, "Hey, can you run up and do this?" Every single one of them would have done it. But in my mind, it's like well, I can just do it faster if I do it myself. I'll just take care of it i know where everything is and that helps who and well it's sin depriving others it's sin exactly because ephesians 4 11 says that i'm supposed to be equipping them for the work of ministry so if i'm taking that ministry away from somebody in the church i'm actually sinning as a pastor by doing that and so then my wife's question was the same as yours dennis uh, why well what i realized monday morning was i hardly couldn't get out of bed because i felt like my soul just got ripped out and run over by a Mack truck. <laughs> so I feel better today after I went to work. But one of the things that I've realized is, and part of the reason why God has uh, predestined me to host this episode, 
<laughs> is that uh, I'm not I'm not good at that work life balance and being bivocational and being in in uh, like you said in a church where the possibilities are just endless. God's doing a lot right now, and I'm really thankful for that. And we've got some great people um, that I know are going to start serving and are going to be amazing. But it, it it's very hard for me to turn it off. It's very hard for me to have that cutoff time when I've got 10 things on my project list that are about 20% done because I'm the kind of guy that likes to check stuff off and I'll keep driving something until I get something done. And that's my nature. And that's, that's really not good for my family. So a type A personality, is that what you would say? I don't know. I, I, can you be an introvert and a type A? <laughs> I'm a type A. I have been accused for procrastination most of my life. And so when it comes to work, I I work hard and finish things to spite everyone in my past. But we're also, we're we're pastors. (laughs) And and what you're taught, we want to serve people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we find a fulfillment in doing these things. Oh, absolutely. We find joy in serving people. I find joy in unlocking the doors and turning the lights on or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Like, like I don't complain about cleaning the bathrooms. I am fine with doing that. We want to serve. Yeah. We want to do things. We want to help. I'm not as sanctified as Kerfman. I hate to clean bathrooms. Hey, listen, when, when you clean bathrooms at Sam's club, a church bathroom ain't nothing. That's probably, (laughs) I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I would say that. I don't even have to put gloves on. Yeah. But (laughs) about cleaning the bathrooms, after VBS week. Well, that, that Ooh, might be different. That's, but. If we're finding our fulfillment in doing things, then, then we have deeper issues than just, than, than just that. And I think that goes back to the whole mistress idea of the church. We find our fulfillment not in Christ, but in doing things in the church. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we have to step back and just... And come to him weak and heavy laden and let him lift that burden off our shoulders and just rest. Yes. Yeah, None of yeah. us are indispensable as leaders. We, no, we're not. We, yeah, Charles de Gaulle said the cemeteries are filled with indispensable men. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and I think to go along with that too, ministry can be rewarding if your church is in a good place or it's moving in a good direction because of the affirmation. And so in general, they say most pastors are men that are seeking affirmation or that want that. And so, and I know that's the case for me that if I'm not careful, it's easy for me to strive for that. The thing that I hear a lot of leadership guys, not Andy Stanley, but other ones that I listen to that they talk about is, you know, do only what you can do that. What, what, whatever only you can do is what God's called you to. He's called somebody else to everything else. And so the problem for me is, is that, there's a lot of things that God hasn't called me to do that I spend my time and energy doing uh, because I want them to be done. Like you were saying, Jonathan, just kind of taking a step back and saying, God, this is your church. And if you want this to happen, you you call somebody to do it. And I'm going to go do this over here that I know for sure you've called me to do. Instead of having that attitude, a lot of times it's like, yeah, but if I take two minutes, I can just knock it out. But the thing that you said a moment ago, though, and you were right, the thing that you are to do, Ephesians 4.12, is to equip us somebody else to do that. Right. Right. So like your thing as a, as a pastor, it's disobedience, not to leader. Yeah. Your thing as a leader is to equip somebody and train somebody and, and disciple somebody else to, to serve in these areas. Uh, We have to, I mean, we can't do all that stuff. And of course, a way of doing that, you have to coach people and you do that by demonstrating to them how you serve. And so you, you do have to do some of those things, but then you don't just keep on. You, you gradually transition to let them 
begin to assume control, take over, make sure. choices, and that sort of thing. There's job. These jobs have to be done. Somebody has to turn the lights on, right? Somebody has to unlock the doors. If the bathroom's a mess, somebody has to clean that. And and it's not above any of us mm-hmm. to do that, right? We can. I can certainly be the first, and I've done that. When the job's there and nobody else will do it, you got to do that. But there's typically going to be somebody else that wants to serve, and they're looking for that role of how they can serve. And man, if you're doing that every single Sunday, that's going to kill not only you and burn you out, it's going to kill your wife and kids. Because I'm wondering, here's what I'm wondering. When you're running to the store, when you're running crazy around the church building doing all these things, what are your kids doing? What are they seeing? What are they watching? I mean, my kids come in. I I go to the church about 8.30 as well. And then my kids uh, come over typically about 9.30. And they we have a prayer meeting in the sanctuary before the service, before Sunday school. And my kids will jump in on that. And a lot of times they're just jumping. But, um, you know, and uh, but we'll pray in any way. But they're there. They're with they're with me. Right. And uh, sometimes my older two girls, you know, they they they'll get ready for church early. And instead of watching cartoons with the the other ones, they'll even though they're not going to get to do anything except sit in my office and doodle on a sticky pad. They're going to they're going to want to come to the church with me. And I'm so cool with that. I mean, they're just shadowing. They're right there. But if I'm, if I'm, and and I get it, sometimes I have to bounce around crazy too. But if I'm doing that every Sunday and I'm ignoring my kids and they're watching me just beeline trying to please everybody else and here they are beckoning for my attention and I'm completely ignoring them, even though this is what God's called me to do, even though this is Sunday morning, Lord's Day worship, this is big game day for us, right? I can't do all of that stuff at the expense of them watching me act like a crazy man. And 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 it's going to not only going to burn you out, it's going to burn your kids out. Yeah, another thing too that goes along with that Ben, and I totally identify with what you're saying cuz I'm in a small church and I have to do a lot of things that I never thought I pictured myself doing, which is fine, but I was the type of kid in school that when the teacher gave a group assignment, you know, you had to work for three other people, I would tell my other people in my group, don't worry about it. I'm going to do all of it because I know if I do it, it's going, we're going to get an A. If you guys do it, it's going to, we're going to fail. And God had to unlearn or strip me of that mentality because that's not the way you do ministry and not the way you train people up in the church being the perfectionist or being that detail oriented person. Well, just let me do it. I can do it better than you. That's prideful. And God really had to help me with that in delegating, letting other people do things, and yes, even letting them try and fail. And in failing, they learn how to do it better. And But also in, in delegating and handing ministry over and letting them participate and be a part in it rather than me thinking I'm the only one who can do things. And God really, really had to work in my heart in that area. I know early on, I know you guys did a... The Four Horsemen did a podcast not long ago about false teaching and about one certain pastor in Charlotte. Used the word pastor lightly. That you have a striking resemblance to. No, no, I shaved my head just for that. <laughs> he uh, doesn't wear skinny jeans. He's not wearing skinny that's jeans. That's exactly right. That's right. That's right. But I, I can remember way early on in his time there planting that church. I can remember, uh, you know, when he, before everybody really knew what he was. Uh, I can remember a particular Sunday. It seems like he did something to the effect of he had 
uh, to prove the, ne- the necessity of volunteers, he came in and there was no greeters in the parking lot. Just basically went down to bare bones, right? Bathrooms weren't necessarily clean. Maybe the uh, the mic wasn't working. The sound system, you know, things weren't working accurately there. To prove to our people, hey, we need you to step up and do something. I'm not going to do this every single time, right? And and while I wouldn't agree with much of, of what he does or, or is, that's not a bad idea, right? And, and I recently did that at our church. We had a um, uh, our Sunday night kids ministry. My wife was running it and another lady. And uh, they started it three years ago when we're in a revitalization too. We didn't have kids five years ago at the church. They started coming. We cranked up a, a you know, from scratch kind of kids ministry. And my wife had been doing it. And then my wife's teaching a kid's Sunday school class. So she's teaching these kids before church on Sunday morning and Sunday school. She's teaching them again on Sunday nights, the same kids. And, and she's wearing herself out with these kids. And half of the kids are my kids. And she's teaching them all week long. And so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, this is crazy. And so we called Turkey just one Sunday. I just, I said, you know what? We don't have kids ministry on Sunday nights anymore because we don't have the volunteer, the manpower to do it. Within three weeks, I had four new volunteers step up and say, you know what? We're going to do Sunday night kids ministry. Our kids miss it. We want, we want this back. We need this. I said, yeah, you're right. We need this, but I'm not going to run my wife ragged. And in fact, I'm not going to run anybody in the church ragged Mm -hmm. like that. So, you know, and it, it didn't work. We just, hey, these aren't, those aren't biblical. I mean, we don't have to have a kid's ministry, you know? I mean, Jesus didn't go to children's church when he went to the temple. So um, we don't have to have these Nobody things. in the Bible went to children's yeah, church. Yeah, no kidding. Well, that's another conversation. But, but my, <laughs> my point is simply to say that it's not a bad idea to, you don't have to have yeah. everything. There's certain things that we think we have sure. to have, and we don't necessarily have to have mm-hmm. it. We need volunteers to step up and, and serve. Yeah, no, nobody in the Middle East is con- concerned about uh, coffee on Sunday morning. Well, you have all these activities. It's like being on a religious treadmill. You know, you're, you're just burning energy, but are you really getting anywhere? And that's where a lot of our churches are, and we just have all this organization to support and all these things. We're, uh, but what it becomes basically for a pastor, I think, is a matter of ego. We get into that old uh, codependency thing. We have a need to be needed. It's like when we walk into the hospital up there to see a family. They're like, oh, thank God, pastor's here, you know. And uh, it just makes us feel so good. Where we might have started out, you know, with a great compassion for people, it becomes something like, hey, look at me and what, I, what I'm doing, Mr. Superstar. And, uh, and, and the more that is fed, it's kind of like the, the blob, you know, the bigger it becomes. And before long, it will become a destructive thing to us when we do. Dennis, can I ask you a question? You're talking about time management and and balancing ministry to family, and you began pastoring in a pre cell phone day, pre internet day, absolutely. Where the the, the Roman other Roman numeral day, yeah. <laughs> hourglass to tell time. They had a sundial out sundial. on the patio. Yeah. <laughs> That was it, Sandy. Thank Flintstones. Yeah. Okay. So um, the the other three of us at the table, I mean, we you know we're all millennials. Uh, we were raised. I've got five on, Google calendars on cell phones. Yeah. You you pastored in a day, Dennis, where it was thought, and I'm just wondering what you do now when you go on vacation and you get away and you take your family. Uh, when your kids were at home, you take your kids with you. Um, or maybe it's just you and your spouse and, and you guys are away for a week. Maybe you go to the beach or 
you know, whatever you go, and somebody dies in the church. Now, I, you, again, you began in a day, like you said earlier, where you're expected to be there for everything. And it doesn't matter what you're doing. And I have heard so many horror stories of pastors that would just completely just cut off family vacation and make that trip back for this funeral. So I'm wondering how has that changed? And I mean, has it changed? Did, did you do that then? Do you do that now? Where, where, where are you at on that? Well, it's probably been, 10, 15 years ago, I remember the first time it ever happened that uh, I w- we were leaving we on vacation just about to the beach, and I, I get the call on the old cell phone and um, find out that a church member's died. And for the first time ever, I made the decision, we're going on vacation. Because they said, we understand you're out of town, and we've got an associate pastor, and we can get by, and so I took them at their word, and uh, I survived it. Nobody got mad at me. There was no movement to fire me. Some people may have talked about me in behind the scenes, but you know, I, I think that was a learning experience for me to take the plunge to do that. Beforehand, it might have been extremely, extremely difficult. And, and there are going to be those moments, those crises that arise in ministry in the middle of the night that you're going to get a call and and so forth. What I do with the cell phone. If you want to get in touch with me at night on my cell phone, it's not going to happen, okay? Because it's not going to be on the ringer. I do maintain a landline for just an emergency uh, should happen. Somebody can reach me. But otherwise, I'd never get any sleep. There'll be emails coming in. There'll be Facebook posts. I mean, the thing would just be ringing constantly. So I've, I've laid that aside. And I'm not saying I've, I've figured this out perfectly because I have not. But I think I've gotten much better about it. But sometimes you just have to take the plunge and do the right thing, no matter what the consequences may be. I remember one New Year's Day, it was an afternoon, and a mass murder had taken place. One of our church members had done it and had killed his wife. And, uh, you know, the kids were, had been taken off and it was just a horrible situation. I wasn't going to say to that family, hey, you know, I'm getting ready to watch a football game. No. I mean, there's going to be those things going to happen. But what you have to be careful of, you have to learn to evaluate, is this really something that I must do or is it just something that somebody's going to expect me to do? And, and and so that's how I've been able to deal with that. So there have been times that I did not come back. You call, you, you pray for people. I mean, what if you're on a mission trip? What if you're in Brazil or India or somewhere and somebody dies? Yeah, you're not going to be able to get back unless they cremate them and wait till you get back. If we do come back, we're teaching our people that this ministry revolves around me. Right. And it doesn't. It's ego driven. That's a good point. It's ego driven. Yeah. We, I mean, I, I appreciate you saying all that. I just was, was curious, uh, being a pastor from a, another generation from the rest of us. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not, it's not about me. A, another pastor can do this funeral just as, probably just as well as I can. Um, I had a, a church person passed away and we were on vacation and uh i had a young fruitland student do the funeral had never done a funeral before i probably spent an hour hour and a half on the phone with him i was willing to do that i'm on vacation but i'm gonna spend some time on the phone with you coaching you training you prepping you for this moment the family was so gracious to allow him to to be able to do that and get right. that experience right. and so yeah it's not it's not about me yeah i think about the old priest in the movie rudy you know where he's wanting uh, basically divine intervention so he can make the notre dame football team and the old boy says something to this effect he says to, to rudy he says there's there's two incontrovertible truths that i know 
Number one, there is a God. Number two, I'm not him. And so <laughs> I think we, we need to do, to realize that we drive people to Jesus, not to ourselves. I saw this acrostic that somebody had made and it always stuck with me. And they took, they took the word busy, B-U-S-Y, being under Satan's yoke. And sometimes <laughs> that's what busyness can be in the that's church true. when you've got a whole list of things that you think need to be done or, that people have placed upon you, and sometimes um, Satan can use those good things to not only lead you into a sin of pride, but also to drain you, distract you from what's really important. And I always go back and think about that across it and, and saying, looking at my day or looking at my calendar, okay, what is essential? What has to be done? And what can I let go? And what's just busy work that's really not going to matter in eternity? We're not going to get it all done. No. That we're not going to complete. Our, our to-do list is never finished. And nope. I've got big projects at church. I'm like you, Ben. There's always something to do better. I've got big projects at church that I want to get done that have been sitting there for six months, eight months. And when somebody asks me about it, I tell them, as soon as somebody steps up to lead that, <laughs> it will happen. Yeah. But my plate is full, and I can't do that right now. And so you pray about God sending somebody to lead that particular project or that, mm-hmm. that ministry or whatever the case may yeah, be. Yeah, what the church folks always say is we ought to do X, Y, Z. And what they, yeah, when you, you start. ought to do X, Y, Z. And I do. I flip it right around on them. I said, well, since you have this burden, then it's apparently the Lord's dealing with you about leading it. And so, you know, when you want to start. You're about to be equipped. And, and you, yeah. And so, and so you stop hearing as much of that when yeah. word kind of gets out how, yeah. that, how that works. Well, there's one more thing I want to touch on before we close out. And something I've been thinking about lately, and you guys all being pastors can weigh in on this, and whether I'm right or not. Thinking about how being in ministry breaks you out of a hourly mindset with your work. So one of the things I've struggled with, and I still struggle with being bivocational, is when you work hourly jobs, there's this expectation of, if I work for an hour, that's got to be an hour of full throttle productivity. I mean, it's 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 got to be all that. And so if I'm averaging eight-hour work days, then that's, that needs to be eight hours of hard work if I'm going to get paid to do that work. The challenge is, is when you get into ministry, you can't really measure ministry in an hourly way because you might have 30 minutes. That's the worst 30 minutes of your life that just kills you emotionally or whatever. And you might have uh, a whole day where there's not a whole lot to do or there's not a whole lot going on that, that you're needed to do. And so one of the challenges that I have thinking in that mindset is you think, okay, well, if my salary equals out to basically this much time expectation, then I've got to do enough ministry to fill a certain amount of eight-hour days or four-hour half days or whatever. And the reality is some weeks, you've got way more than that to do. Other weeks, you may not have as much to do. Some weeks, everything is pretty smooth in the church and fine. Other weeks, somebody died or somebody's in a crisis or there's a situation in the church that really requires your focus and attention. There's some days you go in and and you're trying to do sermon prep and you can concentrate really hard for two hours. But after that two hours, your brain is just flat wore out and you're not really good for a whole lot. And there's other days where you can come in there for six or eight hours and and grind at something and be fine. That's the experience that I found. And so the hard thing for me is, is if I've got a couple work days a week at my job and then I've got some time set aside for church, 
Sometimes I, I'm like, okay, I need 16 really productive hours, but my brain's only going to give me about half of that. And so figuring out how to, how to do that. So do you guys see that challenge to you of how a lot, a lot of churches I think have this, I've been in churches before where there's almost this expectation of, well, if you're a full-time salary, that's a 40 hour week. And yeah, we'll count Sunday maybe as one of those days. Although that's kind of a freebie because you're a Christian, so you should be at church on Sunday anyways. But there's almost this veiled expectation. I don't feel like it's necessarily that way at my church, but I've been in churches like that before of, like you mentioned, office hours, Jonathan. I know pastors that get harassed by people about, why, Pastor, why weren't you there when I came by at 2 o'clock on Tuesday? And unless you're in the hospital or unless you're doing something else, there's this expectation of you better be doing something to earn your yeah. money. When I first came to Pole Creek, it was very much a corporate mindset. And uh, they had office hours, and you signed in when you came in, and you signed out when you left, and you had a pager. This was before the invention of cell phones. Wow! And and so, so they they knew where Zach you went, and what you phones. did, and it was it was Monday through Friday, and uh, no and no exceptions. And so gradually, we've changed all of that. And uh, you know, my most productive study time will be uh, maybe over on Biltmore State, sitting by the river. Or over at Java Nation Cafe, where I can have interchange with real people. I do have some office time, but we don't require guys. And, and we've done time studies to to show and demonstrate. I'm the last one we did here a while back. I put in like seventy hours during a week in in ministry. You know, I, I think that's plenty. Okay, <laughs> and, and but it wasn't all in the office. It was a lot of other things. And so, you know, we've we've changed that whole mindset. And uh, well, we have to be careful though, is to realize we got business people that they may be working those kind of hours, and they have family, and they come to church and serve as a deacon or usher or whatever. And so, so we've got to be careful and never come across that. You know, we're, we're privileged to to put in less time, but it, but it may be staggered quite a bit from what you're, what you're talking about. And when we first, first time we went from a Monday to Thursday and started counting Sunday as a work day, because believe you me, it is, mm-hmm. um, we, we, we caught some flack. I, th- there were some folks that actually left <laughs> because we shut the office down on a Friday and, uh, and that, yeah, it's very, very sad. And uh, and the biggest, probably one of the most tense times we had is when we stopped our Sunday evening service, which that that's could a be whole other podcast. Whole different podcast. Do. <laughs> but but you would you would be able to say from experience, and I think all of us can probably testify that ministry is not a normal job in the sense of the workload either, because a lot of shepherding is emotional and spiritual, sure. and you just can't put a dollar amount on that. Like I said, there's been weeks where I've gone by. And it's like, you know, I I really don't know if I'm worthy of my wage this week. But then there's been other weeks where I'm carrying some kind of burden or I'm dealing with a situation that's just so heavy that it's just really weighing down on me. And it's like, you couldn't pay me $100 an hour to to have to carry a burden like this. Yeah, but if a church has a staff person that a pastor, uh, if if they have questions about whether they're really doing their job or they're goofing off somewhere. You, you don't need somebody like that. You right. need to have a trust level. And that's what, where I think our congregation is. They have a trust level that our, our staff is not out fishing and playing golf every day and all that kind of stuff, but they're really doing ministry. Well, it'll show but, up Sunday morning. Yeah. Well, Eventually it, it will. It's going to show up through the week. Like my people see me, I see them, the majority of them more than just Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Right? We interact through the week. I'm texting them. 
I'm calling them about the stuff that needs to be done on Sunday. Is somebody going to go get batteries this week so I don't have to go up at <laughs> ten at, at ten thirty on Sunday morning to Kmart and get those in right. between services? You know, I'm 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 communicating with them. You know, at, at their house or wherever the case. You know, I've met with them, and so they have seen me enough that they know that I'm out. You know, mm-hmm. when when their family goes through a time of grief and they've lost a loved one, and I'm there with them at the bedside as the man dies. And then I am there a time or two before the service, the funeral service. And then I show up the visitation and then I come and preach the service. And then I'm doing the graveside. Man, they see the hours that mm-hmm. I put in that week for them. And it builds that and trust they, that Dennis was talking right, about. Right. And they know that that's what I'm doing. I may not be with them next week, but I'll be with another family next week, mm-hmm. you know, or I'll be discipling so-and-so, or I'll be meeting with this team. You do enough of that. They, they begin to see, Hey, he's doing stuff. Right? Well, and some hey. of that is the proof is in the pudding too. Exactly. I think kind that, of like what Derek was saying, you know, if, if you're not in the office and then you get up there and preach some weak sermon on Sunday morning, everybody has the right to say, hey, what, what have you been doing? Right. You know, <laughs> exactly. It's two other, you know, observations, things that I'll just comment on that before we close, Ben. Uh, you know, when I have a week where I put in 70, 80 hours, man, I may take Monday off and I don't have any issues with that. You know, and if somebody does, they come talk to me about it. I've never had anybody have a problem with that. You know, if if I have, if I've had to put my family, our family time has kind of suffered this past week. And my wife and I go through that. There'll be seasons where it's like, it's so hard for us to get any time mm-hmm. together. And she'll tell you, she knows it's coming to an end. That season will come to an end at some point. And then we will make up for that in the next season. I will take a day off next week. I'll take two days off. We'll get out. We'll go to Pidgey. We'll go to Dollywood for the day, or whatever the case may be, and 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 I feel perfectly justified in that. The other thing that I do is, and I learned this uh, from a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, pastor that I served under. I record everything that I do. I write down everything. So at the end of every day, I've got a, a little day planner that I just I write down. You know, I at, I was in the office at eight o'clock. I was at 10 o'clock. I left and went to, you know, whatever hospital and saw who and whoever it was. Um, now I just keep a, a running tab of everything I do. Nobody ever looks at that. Nobody's checking that. It's not me clocking in. But if, if you ever want to talk about what do I do, and at the end of the month, I, ta- I total all that stuff. Uh, I know when, when I was serving under another pastor, he would put that a little pastor's report in the back of the uh, newsletter every month and and it, how many home visits how many hospital visits how many nursing home visits and and I don't I don't publicize all that but I've got all that written down and tallied I got an excel spreadsheet and and I can tell you how many times I've stepped foot in a hospital this year and I can tell you how many homes I've been into and if somebody comes to me and says you know well you've not been to my house in 6 months to see me and I know I have I can go back to the date and time <laughs> that I knocked on your door for 15 minutes and you didn't open the door or I can tell you when we sat down the last time and talked, I got all that stuff. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's accountability for me, it holds me accountable. If I look through back through that for the month and I haven't done anything, whoa, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Right. I only, I only stopped in two people's homes this month. I need to step up my, you know, or I need to, I need to pay more attention. Right. Or if there's a month where, I only made one or two house visits to shut-ins or whatever the case may be. There's probably two or three funerals that month too mm-hmm. that, you know, subsidize. So, you know, I keep a record of everything that I've done. Um, just in case, there's never been a question, but if there ever is, 
I've got it all written down. And I also, I take deacons with me. I do very, very little alone. And so my deacons, they know exactly what I do because they're with me throughout the week. Mm-hmm. And they will come, uh, they'll fight for me. You ever say, well, he's not doing, he's, you know, out fishing. My deacons will step up and say, no, no, he wasn't fishing. We, we were with so-and-so. I spent, you know, four or five hours with him today, you know, visiting mm-hmm. or doing whatever we were doing. Well, I would encourage you young guys to have kids at home is when you're visiting the yeah. nursing home. So take those little ones with you because those old folks just love to see them, you know. When you go out and visit those widows, you know, they, they you're you're tolerated. But when the kids come, it's great. And, and that's family time. And, and they see what you're doing and. Uh, and so I think that's what kind of killing two birds with one stone when you do that. My, my kids love to visit. I just called the nursing home ahead of time, make sure there's no epidemic going around. Right. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, we, Pro tip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't, no flu. Uh, so we don't, uh, I mean, we do that. I take my kids, I'll do lunch with my kids, you know, come home during the day, just have lunch with them, you know, because again, I, I'll go back to what I started with, man. That's first and foremost for me. So that's special. We need to pray for uh, Benjamin because that's a great challenge to try to work uh, out there in the secular marketplace and in church and then do family. It's just, I have a tremendous respect for guys that are bivocational because I don't know how to do it all. I mean, I can barely do it all. I can't do it all. We just said that we don't get it all done as full vocation, you know, full-time guys. We don't get it all done. I have no idea how you work. 30 to 40 hours a week and then try to pastor. I just, I, just, that's I, I can say that plurality helps. Sure. <laughs> it sure. does. It yeah. does. And, uh, and I think that's part of the reason why God made it that way. But sure. to wrap up, time management's important. Family is important. Whether you're a pastor or member or what a, a deacon, whatever you may be, um, your family comes first. Uh, you're called by God to take care of them and serve the church in the capacity that you're able to do and stay healthy and either do the work of the ministry or equip someone to do the work of the ministry. But don't always do both all the time. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than bass the president. I see brothers talking, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they calling for Katrina.